a reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 8 through chapter 2, verse 10. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, let us, let, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pitom and Ramses. But they, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter and with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill them, him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man, of, now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dubbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside her. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, 
because, she said, I drew him out of the water. A reading from the book of Psalm, chapter 124. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel not now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when, the peop when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us his prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. A reading from Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. So the outlines, just real quick, the outlines look a little bit different. Um, well, no, your outlines don't look that different. They have the list of all the scriptures, the scripture readings for the week. Um, we didn't read all of them today because I figured we'd just read the ones that we're going to talk about most. And really, we're just going to kind of camp out in Romans 12 and Psalm 124, but 99% of that is Romans 12 because it's uh, Romans, it's my favorite epistle, and uh, it's a key chapter. So uh, just some kind of preliminary things about Genesis real quick. If you just look at your notes, um, I did want to mention these because we're really just going to talk about unity, God's sovereignty, uh, really the beginnings of, of coming to Christ and understanding God's sovereignty and what we call the three-legged stool. Um, we just call it a three-legged stool. I don't know if we call it a three-legged stool of something, but it's God's sovereignty, that God is good, and that he is able. Um, and I think that's uh, one of the first things that we're going to see in Romans that how we renew our minds, but um, if you just look at that Exodus passage about the sovereignty of God, of how he's in control of everything, and how he 
just prepares Moses, and Moses didn't have any choice in any of it. Um, but just a point for reading and understanding biblical themes, the whole passing through the waters, the deconstruction language, uh, you know, look at Noah, how he uses water to deconstruct or decreate uh, all of creation and then recreate it. Same thing with Moses, who was doomed to death. He threw the waters is, uh, you know, the, the mother and everyone's looking from the side and uh, is essentially dead and couldn't have ended up in the worst hands that you could possibly think of, uh, but that wasn't the end of it. Uh, Israel later in the Exodus, Israel through the Red Sea, and then you can see how, um, I know in First Peter that correlates to uh, the passing of the Red Sea, relates baptism. So all these point to a larger image of, of dying being uh, decreated or deconstructed and being resurrected in faith with Christ through baptism. Um, and then just quickly noting that the people of God are always oppressed. Uh, they are a suffering people. We are a suffering people. Uh, because we're dangerous to the world, the Egyptians, I think, thought correctly that if these people continue to grow in number, they would overthrow us. So they took their worldly action, which is always by force, and only made them grow stronger. So uh, I don't know where it's all. I think it's on the back. It might be the bottom of the first page of the outline. <clears throat> um, we're going to spend most of our time in Romans. So... Does anybody know how every epistle is set up? It's there in your notes, kind of, uh, in case you don't know. Every, every epistle is set up in the same kind of format, same general format, chapters on the, that are theologically based, and then chapters that are practically based. Once we know this information about God, about the triune God, then how do we live, right? It doesn't operate, God doesn't operate the other way and say, this is how we live, let me help you to understand why we do that, right? Even going all the way back to Exodus and the Ten Commandments, we get the commandments, um, but we learn so much more about God before. It doesn't just, the Bible doesn't just start with the Ten Commandments, and here we are, here's what you have to do, and we'll learn about God later, right? So every, every epistle set up this way, Romans has 11 chapters of theology. I'm going to open there real quick because I'm going to be uh, jumped around a little bit as we go, and then four chapters of <coughs> practical living. So um, this is a verse, uh, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship or a reasonable worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Those, I think that was like on the top list of, as I started to read scripture for the first time, was like one of the top verses that I um, decided to memorize. Uh, not that anybody told me to. I didn't have like a list of what I was going off of. I just, you know, wrote down things that would help me in my Christian life. And this was one that was very apparent to me also with like, you know, um, I can think of Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 17, about how we submit our entire lives to God, like everything we do. Like, so all of these chapters, chapters 1 through 11, all about like, you know, no man's without excuse, God is sovereign, everybody knows God, 
Nobody is justified by his presence, you know, or before his presence. Nobody's perfect. Everybody's without sin. You're only justified through faith, you know, and we wrestle, you know, but since we're justified through faith, that doesn't mean we keep on sinning, you know, and all these things, all these arguments and, uh, you know, it starts to turn in chapter eight where like, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is no condemnation and all these things. And then if you read, Chapter 11, the very last verse, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be glory forever, amen. You know, you get through Romans 9 about the sovereignty of God and um, all the way through chapter 11 about the remnant of Israel being saved and you get this little glimpse of, of Paul just makes this statement that all things are from God, all things, no matter what, everything, all of creation, all of situations, everything. And then what do we do for all of that? We give them all of our life, right? As a sacrifice, as a living sacrifice. So I encourage everyone to memorize that verse uh, if you don't already. But, um, you know, the ESV says uh, spiritual worship, but if you have a pew Bible like me, it has a little notation that says, or what is your reasonable worship? The reasonable thing, right, is what we're saying or what scripture is saying, is that it's not that we, oh, well, let's set aside some time on Tuesdays and Thursdays and we'll do something for the Lord. Or It means we're constantly conforming our entire lives as a sacrifice, right? And it always is a sacrifice. If you don't think it's a sacrifice, then you might want to reexamine what you're doing and, and how you're given because uh, taking up your cross and following Christ is usually involves a cross, pain, submitting to something that doesn't, it's not a spa treatment, stuff like that. So anyways, um, you know, and he goes, and then, you know, we'll see in the following subsequent chapters, practical things about how he does that, about how he brings that out, and we'll do a little bit of that today. But he then says, you have two options after that, right? God is completely sovereign. He owns all things. All things are from him, through him, by him, for him, all that. We're living, we offer our bodies as living sacrifices to God. Therefore, like, do not be, <coughs> excuse me, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Those are your two options. There's not like a third option. You don't get a third one. You either continue, right? And, you know, we could probably all think of people um, who either, like, either walked away from the faith or, uh, you know, I even think of people, especially when we were heavily involved with right state of like, man, it really seemed like this person was really like receiving the gospel and like, you know, they were really tracking with us and they were really eager to hear, you know, for a short period of time. And then they, you know, fall away or do something else or whatever and don't follow, follow Christ or, you know, um, or whatever. But, uh, but you either be conformed more to this world after hearing the gospel message, right? It's dividing. You either get more conformed to this world or you renew your mind, right? By the mercies of God. So, so that's what we do. And so that's why there's 11 chapters of theology of renewing your mind, right? That's why every epistle starts with, here's a right way of thinking about God Right, many of us went to the counseling class, uh, which is really just a discipleship class. And it's just, I love the formulas they put in there because it's kind of like, 
Like it's the way I think, it's like more logical. It's like, okay, here's step one, if this doesn't work, then, in, or you're like, here's this situation, it fits in this box, and you just go down here and you just like, it's a little impersonal because you're like, okay, here's Joe, and he doesn't want to hear the word of God, so you evangelize to him, and you uh, convince him by the grace of God, and, and if the Spirit's working in him, that he should submit to Scripture, and if he doesn't, then he doesn't want biblical counseling, and you kick him out the door, or you wish him farewell, or he probably won't stay that long if he doesn't want to hear Scripture, right? Or if, you know, there's formulas that... Um, you know, if someone's a professing Christian, they want counseling or they want to fix some issue in their life and they're having trouble and then you get all this database worth of questions and you find out that they're not thinking rightly. And so what do you do? You help them think rightly, right? And that's the formula. That's not, okay, get them to, uh, you know, if it's they're always late uh, or something, I don't know, um, or they have some kind of addiction it's not instantly, okay, let's get them to break from that addiction and then do things. There are practical steps, but it's always let's renew their mind by the word, get them focused on a, a more holistic gospel, better theology, help them understand God more, his heart and his character, and then uh, we hope and pray by the grace of God that after that, after they get their mind renewed and start thinking about God rightly, then we can really work on those issues because without that we're powerless. They're powerless. There's no point. Um, it just goes into legalism. So um, that's, why the, that's why all of the uh, epistles are set that way and that's kind of, you know, and you can see that mindset of when Christ is going through his ministry and on earth and he kept saying, have you not read? It's because they had read but they weren't thinking correctly. Right? So with those things, I think in renewing your mind, you know, I think, we, I think we have a lot of teachings on the Word of God and how you need to be renewed daily by the Word and understand, and, and we do a good job of that, and I think everybody here at least understands that. <coughs> but I want to connect that to 1136, for from him and through him and to him are all things, right? So we have this thing, it's a three-legged stool. I don't think we... If Deanna or Anvesh was here, they could probably tell me, maybe Christiana, if we have any resources on this. But it's, it's just on God's sovereignty. If you remove, if you think of a three-legged stool, that God is sovereign, he is good, and he is able. It's like sitting on that three-legged stool. We have a lot of three-legged stool analogies in GCF. Uh, but if you remove one of those stools, you fall over, right? Because if you believe that, God is sovereign and he is able, he has the power, but he's not good. And you're always blaming like, why would God do this to me? And, or you have something like that. You might not, you know, actively, consciously in your mind say that, like God is doing bad things. But, but if you don't have a spirit of gratitude, then that's what you're thinking, right? And so you start to see like, well, I believe God's sovereign and he's in control and he ordained it. And I believe he could fix the situation, but... I don't appreciate it, I don't thank him, I don't love him more because of the situation, then you're missing that leg of the stool, right? And you can kind of identify that. So um, I believe this is the foundation. I think this is clear in scripture and, you know, just drawing out of this passage of, you know, where he's making that distinctive of you either conform to this world or you're renewed by your mind. This is where I think we start the Christian life and I think this is what it means to be 
you know, if you really get a hold of this, to kind of be like a stable Christian or on your path to stability. Maybe you have other issues or something. I don't know. But, uh, but when you get that, when you get the sovereignty of God, I think most other things are easier, at least easier to fall in place. And so I think that's why it's kind of, kind of places there. So, um, like, why would you, like, if God's not sovereign, like, I couldn't make up a reasonable way to, like, worship God. Like, worship wouldn't make any sense if God's not sovereign and he's good. Like, why would I spend my time singing to him when I could, like, sing other songs that, you know, a little bit more at beat or something, you know, or something I might say I enjoy more or whatever. Like, why would I give my entire life, why would I begin a process of rethinking, like, what I'm doing with my career and my family and my free time and, like, you know, how much time I spend doing one thing versus the other. Like, how would that make any sense if God's not, like, completely and utterly sovereign? (coughs) Excuse me. And you're not, like, constantly thinking through that all the time. Like, if we've got a mindset of, of, well, I should do it because it's, you know, a GCF expects, and I like these people, and they're my friends, and I don't want to let my friends down. Sure, that's like an okay motivation. I don't want to let my friends down, but I'm going to let them down anyways, and I'm okay with that. And sometimes I just need a break. <laughs> and, but if God is totally worthy, and everything is for him, and he's totally good, and, he, and he's able, and he has my good pleasure in the midst of it, even if I dislike it, it, it becomes a sacrifice, right? It's not just because I like it. And it becomes worth it. So um, I remember when, uh, at least in my life, the Lord started to like really bring this idea of like his sovereignty and his goodness and his, you know, especially his election. And not just in salvation. I don't mean just like in salvation that, you know, Jesus died for my sins. I'm going to heaven someday and God chose me and I'm trying to fill this time until I die. I mean like, like his total like election and purpose and calling in my life. Um, I remember this is kind of a silly story, but uh, when I was working for Arbor Experts in a tree care, we were cutting down this like 10 foot tall spruce tree. It wasn't like dying or anything. It was just like leaning to the side and it was close to a house. So I remember cutting it down. I don't know if I cut it down or someone else did, but I'd been meditating on these things, on the sovereignty of God, especially in Romans 9, where it talks about, you know, like he'll have mercy on whom he chooses to have mercy. You know, Jacob he loved and Esau he hated before they were born, before they did anything good or bad. He had put his love, you know, especially thinking in context of uh, where he had put his love on Jacob before I didn't, wasn't thinking too much about condemnation and, and, and the wrath of God on Esau. But uh, so the, the tree falls down and you know, I realized because, you know, I'm on the crew cleaning up and you got to like cut it into smaller pieces and stuff that <coughs> there had been a baby's bird's nest in the tree and it housed two birds and so young that they didn't have any feathers. You could still see the eggshells there and uh, totally could not sustain by themselves without their mom. And so, and uh, this is maybe kind of weird but like, you know, because I'm working this like manly job with like chainsaws and we're outside and I find out that like as it fell, 
one bird died, and one bird is like yelling and like alive. And I was like meditating on these things about the sovereignty of God and like Jacob I loved and Esau I hated and I'm like, oh my God, like this is totally like God's sovereignty and like God's in control here and he loves this bird and he hated this bird. <laughs> like this one's dead and this one's alive. And I'm like, you know, like crying, like picking up these birds and like trying to get a, the other bird probably died, I don't know. Because, <laughs> you know, when you move birds and it's already like out of the tree that it was in, maybe it died, I don't know. But it totally hit me, and, like, I still remember the image of, like, seeing the birds, and I was, like, crying, like, while working, and I was just, like, move, I moved the birds to, like, another tree and hoped that the, uh, the mother would find it or something, but the one was dead, and I just couldn't handle it at that point, thinking of God's sovereignty. So, um, you know, <coughs> excuse me, but I think, you know, a lot of times we we answer back to God. You, you remember back in Romans 9 when thinking on the sovereignty of God and, uh, you know, like, is this injustice now that he's chosen one and hasn't chose the other? And what, what, how does Paul respond? Like, who are you to answer back to God? Like, that's not like the first, like, Paul's constantly handling objections throughout Romans, but his answer is like, why do you question God? Like, I could think of, like, a lot of theological answers. Like, well, we were all predestined for wrath anyways, and so that it's, it's not injustice. It would be injustice because we got grace. It's not injustice because one got condemned because that's what we both deserve. And, and if you want to talk about injustice, Jesus didn't deserve this, and that was injustice. But Paul doesn't do that. He says, why are you talking back to God? Why are you answering him that way? Why would the, like, do you have any right as the clay to say to the potter, why have you made me this way? Right? That's someone who might trust in the sovereignty of God and believe he is able, but not believe he is good. Right? The leg is, at least one of those legs has fallen off. Um, so, you know, I just kind of want to, like, remind us of these things, of because he's saying, like, our whole lives are wrapped up in this, and if we if we don't understand that, he even says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. He's not saying, I appeal to you, brothers, to like think deeply on these things like Paul does in some of his, art, his, his, uh, his epistles. Um, but he says, like, you know, like, like reach into the mercies and grace of God for this. Because this isn't going to be something that you could produce. You have, you're going to have to rely on God. And for your total life sacrifice and to have a renewed mind, like to believe that God is sovereign and all these things is like, that's hard. It really is because we live in a really fallen world. And so um, he then gets on to how we should live, right? After like, okay, so we all know we should be a living sacrifice. We learned that in Bible school or uh, Sunday school or something. Uh, might have even memorized these verses, but you know, one thing that's been coming up you know, pretty frequently, I think, at least on Wednesdays, and uh, if you think about, like, what Nathan taught on a couple Sundays ago, which was, like, on the spot, you know, he had 15 minutes to prepare, and so it was already on his heart, you know, and uh, it was about unity, and um, definitely <coughs> utilizing, he used it in Ephesians on, on, on being the body of Christ and working together and, and being unified. But Paul's using the same thing here because it's, he does it in Ephesians, Romans, uh, Corinthians, all over the place, right? 
so then with that, like, what do we do? Like, so what does it look like to have, you know, a mind that's been renewed, that's totally trusting God, living by faith, like pressing into his grace and knowing his sovereignty in every situation? Well, he kind of tells us, um, it says, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I think that's like, for every new Christian, like, or anybody anywhere, right? Everybody familiar with the cage stage? Daniel's familiar. <laughs> He's still there sometimes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, like the case is like you learn this new theology about God. Like you want to tell somebody and a lot of it, it mostly comes out in Calvinistic circles of where you want to like beat somebody over the head. Cause like I have this new theology. I'm understanding something new from God. I've got to tell people or I've got to argue with them or, you know, and, um, and that's not really thinking of yourself how you ought, right? You know, when someone's in the, in the cage stage, they're not, thinking soberly, right? They're kind of drunk on these new theologies and different things. And, right, and that's why they need to be caged. Uh, but, but look at that, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. You know, I think it's so easy for us, <coughs> you know, like, like when you think about, like, all of, like, the gospel, of like, who the heck am I that God would bestow his grace on me it would be really easy to get conceited. Like, because he didn't choose Joe Schmo down the street or the neighbor over here or over here, you know, it'd be really easy to get puffed up. And it's really easy to get puffed up when you have a little bit of knowledge. And it's really easy to get puffed up when um, you have a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of zeal. And so, you know, you know, there's so many proverbs about sober judgment, so like being wise and things and and just knowing the measure of faith that God has assigned to you and acting according to that. So then he says in verse four, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So, um, I'm going to skip that one bullet point of how we shall live. I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, or the unity in the body as a theme. Let's bring this, well, I'll come back to the DC story because I already talked about that. So, I think it would be beneficial. I think just in, this is like, if anybody's listening in some far off land on the internet or interwebs, which probably isn't really happening. Uh, if you're listening, you go to this church. But um, I think what often happens, and I think it's a, a fault that we have because it's hard to get to this point. And so we've already labeled. So I think everyone should go through these GCF series in this order, the grace upon grace, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then the gift series. I think we usually stop in just that progression of understanding God's grace deeper, or the gospel deeper, going through like the five, what we call the five first steps of entering Christ's kingdom, and we help people to get baptized in the Spirit. But then I think often we kind of like leave it there. And if you go through what we call the gift series, which is divided into at least three parts, the charismatic gifts, the motivation gifts, and the service gifts, 
I think that would really help us. Amen. It's something that helped me because then we could do what verse 6 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, right? It doesn't say let us, uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting to me when I'm reading this, it seems like, you know, even if you, I don't think Paul wrote it in this context of like, this is a letter to convince people to become Christians and then start living in this exact way. But if you did read it that way, you know, it, this is the first practical thing is, is don't become conceited. Don't uh, become puffed up. Uh, be utilized. You know, you're in a community, you're in a people, you're in a body and use your gifts and be mindful of other people's gifts. And sometimes that's serving. Some, and you know, there's a list of gifts here, exhortation, service, prophecy, teaching, leading, uh, acts of mercy, <coughs> and the such. And so to get to a point to where you're useful in the body is really important. I think that's like base level. I think, um, I think just because of the cultural milieu of like the evangelical church today, like says that that's like for people who want to do extra. But I don't see that in here. I see that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable and that having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. He doesn't say let us use them if we have them. So you should know what your gifts are. I think going through that gift series would just be a practical way to help. And so, you know, like, uh, a couple of people asked me how the D.C. trip went. Got back at 9.15 this morning. I didn't drive all night. Greg drove all night. I got to sleep in a van for like six or seven hours as we drove. It was very fun. Uh, it was a very fun trip. But um, as someone was asking, I don't really know if we were, like, we prayed for the woos. And, and I don't really know what happened because I didn't get caught up. And what I did for two days was play with Hannah and Zachary. Woo. <laughs> and I went to the park. And... Uh, Man, like Hannah was so much fun to play with. It was amazing. Uh, she's five years old. Haven't seen her since she was like two. She said she remembered me, but that wasn't true. You don't remember. <laughs> you, don't, you don't remember me, and you don't remember me when you were two. But I forgive her. Uh, but it was just so lovely. It was just so lovely. I just hung out with kids and I babysat, and I helped us check into the hotel and and pack the car when I drove, and uh, and that's okay. Other people did, like, the real ministry of praying and casting out demons and, um, and teaching and ministering, and I think it went well. I think. You'll have to ask them. I don't know. Because uh, we didn't get to... I, I didn't specifically ask uh, on the car ride home because I was trying to get some sleep. And, you know, a car ride of, of Greg on Vashti and myself, like, the talking never stops. It, I don't think there was ever a time when it was silent on the way up. And I was asleep, so <coughs> you can ask him about how the ride home went. Um, but anyways, like, and that's okay. Like, I'm just there to babysit. And I don't know what, it, like, because we're a team. Um, you know, Greg and Deanna probably did the most ministering. I don't know, because, I don't know, but I wasn't, like, in that room. I don't know. I don't know what happened. Uh, Anvashi was an elder of the church. He did something. He definitely helped me babysit sometimes. Uh, and he made some good food with Chris, and we ate curry. <laughs> but, like, we're part of a team. We're part of a body. We have gifts that are different. Nobody, you know, um, 
has a gift that's more important than the other. Uh, you know, I have this in my Bible written in the note, and I've got it on the notes also, 1 Peter 4.10, um, that says, as each has been given a gift, let, it use it, let us use our gifts Let's use our gift to, gifts to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so, and then you go look at 1 Peter 4. It talks about some things, uh, some of those gifts. But, but use it to serve one another. That's what we're here. Like, that's the, the base understanding, I think, of walking in, uh, into Christianity, into a knowledge of God, into the body of Christ, is to utilize your gifts, whatever they are. Find out what they are. Ask somebody. Um, you know, because the body can't grow without working together, uh, utilizing each other, and um, utilizing various gifts. So the point is, if you aren't being utilized, be utilized. That's it. <laughs> right? It's not very deep. Are you being utilized? No. Here's the formula. Are you being utilized? Yes. Good. Can you be utilized more? No. Okay, you're in a good spot. If it's yes, I could be utilized more. Okay, find out how that is, or in different ways. Are you being utilized? No. Okay, get utilized. Boom, there we go. You guys have a biblical formula. Um, so, but you guys see how he wraps that up in like knowing the sovereignty of God and like, you know, service, teaching, prophecy, leading, acts of mercy, like doing acts of mercy with cheerfulness, like, that's not, I wouldn't say like that's my special gifting or anything. Um, not with cheerfulness, at least. It's probably why he exhorts them to do it with cheerfulness. <coughs> but do you guys see how like having a renewed mind in God's sovereignty, his goodness and his ability isn't just like a good healing, like a biblical theology based healing for my soul. That's fuel for me to get utilized to, to serve, to understand my gifting, and to use my whole life to serve God, and whatever that means. And that's specifically going to be in the body, right? Um, obviously, I hope as a church, you know, soon that we do more evangelism and outreach or do something, you know, like we did with WizKids or just something that we could practically do to, the, to our neighbors to say, we love you, we want to help, and we want to help in practical ways. So, you know, Psalm 124, uh, if we just look at that real quick before we worship, you know, how it opens up is, if it had not been the Lord who is on our side, let all Israel say now, right? Then, I don't know if this is how it's actually written or how it's intended, but I just imagine, you know, as they gather at different feasts and festivals through the years, you know, three, at least three times a year, that all of Israel would now recite, right? Like when we sing together, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, right? And then use the chiastic understanding, go to verse eight. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, right? That's God made the heavens and the earth. He's completely sovereign. He's on our side. He's the one that if you read the middle can break every snare, get us out of every situation. And, you know, because he's in, he's in control and, and, and he's the one doing it, right? So uh, think about these things, meditate on them, and let's close in prayer and worship. <coughs>
Father, we pray that we would, um, you would just give us a vision of the depths of your, your holiness, your sovereignty, your goodness, your ability, Lord, that your word says that you are for us. Even we read earlier in Romans 8 that uh, if you're for us, who could be against us? And neither heights nor depths nor persecutions, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Lord, let us hold fast to that. Call us, Lord, and enable us to, to live sacrificial lives for your sake, Lord, that we would uh, build each other up in the body, that we wouldn't be tossed to and fro, and that we would uh, mend each other's wounds, and we would lift each other up and exalt each other's giftedness and, and be utilized by you, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.